You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. everybody to edge of the rabbit hole here on connecting the universe i'm author and researcher mike ricksecker with me as always my co-host is victoria monday and down in the chat room alina moderating the chat we have a fantastic show up for you this week i should say this month because edge of the rabbit hole is once a month on connecting the universe and that is our very good friend james keenan author researcher you probably recognize him from shows like mystery at blind frog ranch secret of skinwalker ranch uh and uh, he's a fantastic speaker and presenter as well uh we just picking his brain we're going to be here a little while uh to talk to him and those that are part of the uh, connected universe portal uh the time travelers with us we'll get a few minutes of his time in the after show as well so i do want to say those that are listening to the podcast version of this later on please join us live every wednesday night eight o'clock p.m eastern time connecteduniverseportal.com uh lots of great material out there in addition to edge of the rabbit hole and connecting the universe you get the uh behind the scenes the sneak peek stuff you get the monthly q a videos the mike's morning mug uh boatload of articles all kinds of wonderful material out there's connecteduniverseportal.com all right well without further ado james let's go ahead and get into this uh Known you for quite a while now. Uh, it's been a few years. Met you at the UFO Mega Conference there in Laughlin some years ago, and um, you know, just became fast friends, which was really great. You, me, uh, Katie Page, Trey Hudson. Uh, it was a nice group that we had there in in our circle, and you know, to see you, you know, now showing up on you know some of these uh, amazing shows, Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch. Uh, my my hats off to you. I'm really happy for you, my friend. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's I think been five or six years since we met in Laughlin. That yeah, it's a, been a little while. Really now. good conference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. We had a good time. Uh, so, I guess we'll just dive right into uh, your, you know, your time there because you got in uh, season three. So they added uh, you and uh, Ryan Skinner. There you guys are with uh, Chad Ollinger. And you know, some of the things that you guys are doing are really, really fascinating. And maybe you can kind of explain uh, to our listeners a little bit more about what it is that you guys are doing there. Cause it's, it's like, to me, part treasure quest, but also right. part, you know, ancient discovering ancient history and lost history of the Americas and that part uh, of our continent. Right. So I, I think discovery, uh, the main concept of it was a treasure hunting show mixed in with a lot of the high strangeness that occurs in the Uinta Basin and the Uinta Mountains. And uh, when those two come together, you also have, uh, like you were talking about this, ancient civilizations and history that go along in this area. And personally, uh, you know, you, three of us have discussed many times, um, my passion is really this hunt for these lost cultures and civilizations specifically those of uh, beings or people of great stature, you know, you'll call them giants, mm -hmm. who I believe were uh, at the beginning of history in the first world, if you know, Native American cultures talk about that we're now currently in the fourth or fifth world. And that first world was populated by giants that were killed by very large jaguars. If you know, go, go imagine that. Yeah. Wow. And then the last world was a great deluge by water was the destruction. And it always appears that there's, uh, we have these uh, same topics coming up where 
Uh, in order to survive these cataclysmic events, they had to go underground and survive for a long period of time before uh, mankind could come back up and start over. We're being pushed into these dark ages over and over again. And obviously, we've lost history, you know, yeah. not just from cataclysmic events, but from other cultures and civilizations maybe trying to cover up uh, what occurred in the past for the wrong reasons. An example, when the Aztec finally became the Aztec, they wanted to be considered like the original uh, people of mankind that came directly from the gods. So they destroyed a lot of their own codices and other history books. A uh, hundred years yeah. before the Spaniards, you know, the Europeans came and did an even better job. Well, they, yeah, unfortunately, they decimated a lot. Um, yeah, that's, it's really fascinating, uh, the the fact that, you know, we have kind of this cyclic nature of, you know, civilization rising and falling. And like you were saying, the method of destruction uh, has been kind of various, whether it's, you know, ourselves or a deluge and, and what have you. And I think we also tend to forget because there seems to be like this great debate um, between like, the traditional side and those within our community where it seems like the more traditional view as everything was, you know, very, very linear and moving on upward uh, to this point. And it, it seems, you know, strange that they can't get their head around that, you know, civilization can rise up and different things can happen, whether it's, you know, some sort of cataclysm. I mean, there could be a, a, a war and some sort of genocide. And a lot of times back in, in those days, you know, they were rather barbaric, you know, when you, right. you know, took over your, and you wiped everything out. You destroyed their culture. So um, it, it seems bizarre to me that that really doesn't get recognized in that traditional uh, mainstream history. And, and we're left to try to, you know, and, and, and I don't know, I guess for us, you know, we're trying to solve those mysteries, which is exciting, but um, it, it would be, I don't know, I guess maybe a little bit more helpful to have uh, that backing from the more traditional side. What do you think? Sure. Uh, another thing to take into consideration is that what is left, what does remain specific artifacts, books, codices, history, it ends up in private collections. Yeah. And we'll, we'll never know. We, we don't know about it or we don't have access to it. And, uh, you know, un unfortunately, it's lost, lost to, to us. And, um, yeah, I saw some of that so, same stuff in, in Egypt. Um, you know, when I was there first time around a few years ago, you know, opened up a you know, new crypt under Dindara and you're going through and it's, it's not, they didn't hold bodies down there. It's just like this long hall under the temple, but there's these large blocks that have been taken out of the walls and you're looking and you see these fresh chisel marks. And, you know, apparently this, uh, this passageway had been closed for like 20 years. And you're looking at it like, what's going on here you pull one of the guys off to the side and discover yeah those were like quote-unquote power pieces that got uh uh, uh they got uh wow i'm getting tongue-tied yeah reappropriate yeah. <laughs> Re sold yeah. off to the highest bidder into <laughs> private collections I was, my tongue kept wanting to say selled off and i'm like that's <laughs> it's, that sell is not a word sold thank you all right you have, you back, have that same James, thing. back to you <laughs> you have that same thing at uh, tiwanaco uh in south america uh it, it wasn't that a lot of it was destroyed a lot of it was reappropriated and turned into the towns and cities around it you know there's what, that too yeah that that gets left out of a lot but what's talked about on the history channel or the mm -hmm. discovery channel that uh it's we reuse history it's just the easiest way quickest way to you know build your farm build your house build the government building yeah and, it's already right there it's already been quarried you know Right. So I get that. Use it. Yeah. yeah. So why not use it? <laughs> so I got to ask you, James, have this uh, screen cap of you. I mean, you guys oh, went into some geez. really, yeah. that's a tight squeeze. You guys went in some really fascinating places. You know, these, these caves that you were you know, essentially squeezing through like that. Um, it, it seems like you guys had quite an adventure uh, out there at Blind Frog. Y yeah. So, I want everybody to know that was not some set in Hollywood or LA. There's a lot of people like, you, you know, first off, I don't know everything that happened in season one and two. I came in on season three and I can tell you, we never went to a set to 
film that. That was underground. Uh, it, it was extremely difficult to navigate through these passageways. Cavern systems are everywhere. If you ask anybody that lives in Vernal uh, or Roosevelt, which is around Skinwalker Ranch, there's cavern systems everywhere yeah. uh, in the in Uinta Mountains, all over the place. And I mean, some of them are known to go for miles and miles. And obviously uh, there was a greater connection in the past, you know, over time, earthquakes occur. Sure. Uh, there, there's that part of the uh, Uinta Mountains has a, this earthquake on this major fault, probably about every 35 to 45 years. You can almost, mm. uh, you know, go back and, and it's about a four and a half to a five and a half uh, on the Richter. So that does damage. Massive amounts of water are running underground. Last year, we all were hit by the, you know, just a, a large amount of snowfall everywhere. Record snowfall in Utah. Where did the, all that runoff, all that snowmelt go? It went into the uh, sinks underground mm-hmm. into the system. And it obviously destroys a lot of, you know, what was there, especially when it probably hadn't had that amount traveling through it in at least 100 plus years. Yeah. Things get destroyed. With how much, you know, how many miles of cave system that's out there? And and the goal is to try to find this uh, lost Aztec treasure. How much more difficult does that make your job? (laughs) It makes it a lot more difficult. Um, Just a couple things. And I I wish this gets discussed. And you you and I know very well uh, in a one hour episode, 41 minutes of that is the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you film for months and months and there's eight episodes and you get maybe about five hours total. Yeah. And unfortunately you don't see everything and not uh, all the, the historical data or information ends up being put out there and it can get frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating for me. It's frustrating for some people that watch, but, uh, there, there's just bits and pieces that I wish made it to the show that would help uh, explain things to people. Like I felt kind of weird. I, I talked about Towat, the uh, this hillside that looked like a Native American and the history mm-hmm. as to why it's called Towat never was told. So people are like, they're kind well, of scratching their heads. Yeah, yeah. Well, Towat, <laughs> you know, but what people have to understand, and this is a great example of lost or misunderstood histories. The Mormons came, they, spoke not to the Ute Indians. The the Ute Ute tribe were actually Great Basin, Colorado. Uh, They didn't come until the 1860s when they were forced onto the reservation. It was the Utah Territory Indians, which were the Shoshone, the Paiute. When we're talking Shoshone with Chief Wakara, uh, that was specifically Snake Band, which are the Timpanogos. 300 of them live on the Ute reservation. They were forced on there with the Ute and just became known as the Ute, even though they have n- nothing other than being Uto Aztecan. Uh, back in history, at some point, they their uh, ancestor or origin was the same. But Towat is what the Mormons heard and understood from the Shoshone, where in Uto Aztecan, the god is actually Teut or Teut, which sounds like Towat. And it, gotcha. just, it, it was a misunderstanding. And the, how... Uh, Chief Wakara saw that was an out-of-body experience where he apparently was traveling over and he saw that feature that looked like a Native American where they knew origin or Tamwang Khan was located, which I believe is not just where the Aztec have come back and hidden part of their treasure, but where origin was after the deluge and where there's other artifacts, historical records and burials uh, for all the major chiefs, um, all the way back to their deities, who were these people of great stature, stature or the giants, which are recognized in the petroglyphs and pictographs all over the yeah. area. Yeah, a lot more of that information would have been great rather than like the last episode, like half of it was Dwayne stuck in the mud, which I get, you know, is trying to make for exciting television, but that that kind of dragged out a little while. Yeah. That and all that's fascinating. I know Victoria's itching to ask some questions, so <laughs> go ahead, Victoria. Why, why did he drive in the mud? No, I have I have several questions. <laughs> that's not one of them. Um, how much hiking do y'all do all the time? Oh my gosh, I mean, it's every episode. Y'all are like going for miles and miles, and yeah, and, and that's, drive? 
So remember, it's 160 acres, which sounds yeah. really small, but it yeah. is pure wilderness. And, and mm -hmm. it is exactly, it's so uneven. It's so difficult to traverse. I, you, you know, it looks like the cabin is right there. And then you just, five seconds later, you're on the other side. No, you got to go down. Yeah. You got to cross the creek. You got to go back up around the hillside to get to the energy zone. Yeah, I used to hike to superstitions all the time. So, I mean, yeah. I know. <laughs> it, it was a lot of hiking, uh, just miles and miles of hiking. And, and obviously, uh, this is the uh, first time that we expanded the search because I believe that there's multiple entrances um, and that a very important part of the entire story to where this gold or treasure is located is also north of uh, the ranch. Yeah, that was exciting when y'all went up in the cave and you said, oh, it's over there. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Got to go over there. Um, yeah. I do have a question. I'm kind of hazy on history. Oh, that would be a great name of book. Um, anyway, were the Aztecs in Utah and then they went down to Mexico and they said, let's go hide our gold and go back to Utah? Yes. So, so origin, I believe that origin was in the Uinta Mountains for uh, all for many, uh, not just the native, the indigenous people of the Americas, but maybe even uh, farther from there, maybe in uh, South Pacific, some of that as well. When they split off, the Aztec went to the Great Salt Lake and an island on there, and that was Aztlan. And then obviously when there was uh, less precipitation available, they started migrating southward. Okay. Uh, and over hundreds of years, multiple generations, they finally made it to uh, Tenochtitlan, Lake Texcoco, which is now Mexico City. But when they kicked Cortez out of uh, Tenochtitlan in, uh, June, on June 30th of 1520, uh, 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 Montezuma had already died. So it's not really Montezuma's treasure. It's his brother, Cuitlavaca, who took everything, they, he sent his warriors and their slaves and deposited uh, the treasure that was still hidden and approximately 3,500 pounds of treasure that was dredged out of Tishcoco that was dropped by the Spaniards as they retreated. And it was taken to multiple sites. I think four or five of those sites were to throw the people off that were watching them. Because obviously if you have 100 warriors, you know they're not going to go unnoticed. And then that the main treasure was deposited in origin, which I believe is known as Tom Wan Khan or Tom Wan Chan, uh, which is in the Uinta uh, Mountains. Okay. And so my, I'm sorry. My second part of that question was um, the big snake. When they did the DNA testing, there was a prehistoric snake DNA that was found in the water of the caves. Doesn't the Aztec have a god that's basically like a big snake? Well, it's through, I think all cultures have that, but uh, yeah. Quetzalcoatl is, that's okay. the, yeah, is the, the feathered serpent. But okay. what's even more interesting, and then we get into this high strangeness, is uh, very close on the Uinta Basin is, uh, on the Ute Reservation is Bottle Hollow Reservoir. And I talk about it in all my presentations, that there have been multiple drownings that appear to be related to a very large serpent. And the, the uh, Bureau, Bureau of Indian, BIA, Bureau of Indian uh, Affairs, uh, won't discuss anything mm -hmm. about it. So you always got to think about it. If we had these blind frogs when we opened up an ecosystem underground, why couldn't something else be there as well? I mean, it's That's a perfect right. pathway back and forth. And, you know, the Uinta Basin is very well known for its prehistoric animals. Uh, why couldn't something have survived uh, underground? And people go, oh, well, it's a serpent. Uh, it requires to be heating and all that. But think about underground. There's a ton of uh, thermal venting. Thermal venting. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that was where I was going. <laughs> now, a, a couple of years ago when we were chatting, you had just discovered a cave that had um, ice in it, an ice cave. Right. Is that the same Okay, basically the episode, the season that just aired, was that shot this past year or was that shot way back then? I guess is my real question. No, that was, uh, we were uh, filming all the way up until October. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was this, was like, this year. Yeah. 
because when well, all that's that a lot of filming was... for just eight episodes i wish i'd give you more air time Jeez. yeah well as james's summer intern this year mike <laughs> i will be getting you the behind the scenes scoop <laughs> i'm not going in the cave though because i'm claustrophobic but i'll i'll do the little the remote vehicle to go in and you, you can you can look that way <laughs> <laughs> no i i have you know, I love being underground. Uh, I go to Mexico to be underground in the cenotes. Um, and a lot of people don't know that that most of those locations in Mexico, like uh, Teotihuacan and the Cholula Pyramid, which is the largest pyramid in the world by volume, it, it was placed on top of these cavern systems. Yeah. So what's more important is what's underground. And, and it just created a society around it. You know, they built up the cities, mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't the cities that were the original. Because when you look at the jungle, it's it's just flat jungle. Why put a location where they put it? Because something's underground. Yeah. Well, you have, okay, so many of those cave systems, they are tunnels that they built and all that. But also over time, you know, our history gets buried. You know, you've probably seen, right. you know, recently here, you know, down in the Amazon, they are discovering massive cities there. And, you know, all that was hidden. Uh, underground, but you know, lidar basically uh, helped them to find that, and uh, so yeah, we need to go underground to find a lot of this lost history. Yeah, yeah. But my my last book, The Giant in the Golden Underworld, it it it, it, it all deals with this underground history, and when you look at who the deities were, who people were worshiping, it were these beings of great stature and every culture and i honestly believe that it started back with what we call or consider the nephilim and yeah. it just moves out and i think they were at one point all the same culture yeah i need to um because i'm supposed to be presenting this year at the um the Neph nephilim anthropology conference in scotland i need to hook you up with them because i think you'd be a great presenter for them talking about this subject i do want to get into uh you know more on on the giants and the nephilim here in a moment but we have a, a question out of the chat room good friend cat gash here says has there been any documentation or newspaper reports of meteors hitting that area to account for the ore that is there yeah that's that's an awesome question um so i went out and i looked uh, at the area and there were four meteor strikes not there but around uh anywhere between a hundred, a hundred miles in towards about 20 miles. And they're really good specimens. The iridium was as high as 52 parts per million in one of the meteorite strikes. So independent of the discovery channel show years ago, I showed my lab results of what I took, uh, at one location that I, uh, had examined in on blind frog ranch and it was 66 parts per million. Wow. So more so than any other meteor uh, specimen that's been found in Utah. Now, so since you, you mentioned iridium, oh, sorry. Um, with the poachers and the people that keep going on and digging on Dwayne's land, couldn't you sell some of the iridium because isn't it worth like billions of dollars and get some sort of security or, or some sort of drones to fly over and patrol, I guess? Yeah. So uh, it, it was real what was going on with the trespassers and the, the legal battle that uh, Dwayne was involved in. And uh, I don't know how much I can go into that, but so that was a okay. legitimate part of it. And, and unfortunately, uh, I'm not quite sure how that has evolved or, or if it's still in court or ended up back in court. Um, so the, the mineral rights uh, versus ownership of the property is in question mm -hmm. but here's what a lot of people don't realize is even if you own the mineral rights um, you tried to purchase that out from under ownership you still require uh, the owner of the property to give you the right to come and mine or dig so these people just thought oh okay you know what i i have the mineral rights i'm going to go ahead and do what i want and that's where this huge issue is yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't, that makes no sense to me. So like my parents, um, the house that they uh, had, Victoria, just north of Worcester, Ohio, um, mm -hmm. when they built that property, they were the original homeowners and, you know, they had the mineral rights to the land for uh, some of the oil that's there. Now they still retain those rights long after they sold off the house, but they can't today 
go onto that property of their old house and drop a their own oil right. rig on there. So that, that's why I don't understand what in the world's going on here with uh, with Blind Frog Ranch. How these people are just you know it popping is. up saying oh, I can dig here. It's not yeah. your property though. Yeah, and well, you're um, next to the the Bureau of Land Management. You're right next there. You just pop on yeah. over. Well, and, and then uh, unfortunately, it became so convoluted that the sheriff's department wasn't sure if it was a civil matter or a criminal matter, and they should have still arrested those guys for trespassing. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, but again, it was tied up in court, and there's a lot of civil versus criminal issues involved. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I was a police officer, so I'm not gonna, you know, say they made the wrong choice. At the right time, at that time, it could have probably been considered the best choice, maybe to make. Uh, in that sense, hmm. um, I don't necessarily have to agree with that, but it is what it is at this point. Yeah. But if it's only 160 acres, can't they get some sort of aerial patrol? I mean, that's not that big to it is get a so... high school boy with. <laughs> with a drone you know? it is so rugged victoria now so a lot of people go oh well i own property right next to it and i don't have these issues yeah you own property right off of the main road not having no, to it's like cross over. yeah but it, it it's the whole reason why i think that blind frog ranch is so important is because i i believe it was the collection site the cash site for everything coming in uh from the spaniards and it was very easy to defend uh, mm -hmm. in this location. There's battlements uh, areas on all sides, but it's extremely difficult in our current day and age to effectively, permanently, all the time, have security the way that you see it maybe at other locations. It's just extremely difficult because it's surrounded by BLM uh, Utah state property, which everybody has the right to be on, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some boundaries are currently in question. And, and that was what part of the court, uh, yeah. procedures were about. Yeah. Mm, that's tough. Let me ask you, um, speaking of the land, you guys, uh, did some climbing up into some really interesting locations. Um, did you ever figure out who built the Karen? No, no. No, I, uh, I don't think it's more than a few hundred years old. Uh, there's other ones in the area that. Oh, are there? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of people will say, well, it was part of the Uinta Trail. And I'll argue with them all day because I've talked to BLM. I've talked to local rangers. And in some of the older journals, uh, they were already there. Mm. And okay. they, I, I've been on most of the Uinta mountain areas and I've seen those cairns that are there and why the hell would you put three cairns within 85 feet of each other in a triangular position on top of uh, a mound that shouldn't exist up in the Uinta mountains mm -hmm. as a trail what what trail are you trying to follow where I can see the other two from when I'm standing near one but then for triangulation purposes, one of them has a hole in the middle that oh. you can see all the way right directly to Blind Frog Ranch, even though it's uh, several miles oh, wow. away. It's really interesting. It, okay. You know, yeah, but so some other type of marker. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody has an opinion, which is just fine uh, with me, you know. Um, and we were starting it off, you know, a lot of the history is lost, unfortunately, or it sure. was oral tradition with the indigenous people. So, mm -hmm. Um, you know, written historical records other than on rock uh, doesn't exist. Right. And also another huge thing that we got to remember, too, is most of history in the past is just like what we do today. What do we use? What's our common structures? What is our paper made out of? It's all wood. And wood's right. not going to stand up like stone. So 95% of what was here in the historical record is no longer. It's gone. It's back to the earth. Right. Yeah, that yeah. Ma yeah, makes it a lot more difficult, of course. Yeah, um, and and the oral tradition, even though they've passed that down for so many generations, that seems to be getting lost now. With the kind of, it seems to me, with the younger generations kind of having that disconnect these days to the older ones. Yeah, uh, it, it's happening with it. Seems like all the indigenous uh, tribes 
Yeah. There's just no more connectivity to the, to the past, to the ancestors. Right. Hmm. Okay. I have a question about the stone carvings and drawings and stuff in general. Um, this is just my not knowing my unknowledge, I guess you could say. Um, why are they all so high up on the, like the cliff face cliffs, cliffs of the face, face of the cliffs. Um, did they build scaffolding or something and put them up so people wouldn't damage them or has the land eroded or were they just very tall people like giants? Yeah, I think you're right with the scaffolding. I think okay. a, a lot of what, like at McConkie Ranch, uh, just outside of Vernal, Utah, I, I think the Three Kings petroglyph, which is extremely important for a lot of reasons, and I can't get into it completely, but that was scaffolding because there's no other way to get to it. Um, yeah, because it's so high up. Yeah. Other locations, yeah. maybe in Arizona, the water levels for the uh, rivers and all that were much higher in the past, too. Okay. That, you know, yeah. you have to consider that until about 1450 when there was a major drought. 1450 common era, mm -hmm. excuse me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I've always seen them. They've like been so high up. Yeah. And remember it's our like reservoir, our uh, we built these reservoirs and a lot of that histor history is now underwater, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, three, years too, ago, yeah. three years ago when the water levels dropped uh, at a lot of places, people started finding, you know, petroglyphs and pictographs that hadn't been seen in 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah. Towns, they towns were coming back, you know, back. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting. So let me get back to, uh, cause we had Kat's question there about, uh, the meteor. So I, mean, one of the things that I've always believed, and I have not done anywhere near as much research as, as you out there. Um, but okay. The idea that there was, you know, a meteor impact in that area. So you have, okay, we, we mentioned iridium earlier, but other metals are mixed in with that as well. Um, would that be a, a primary cause for a lot of the high strangeness out there? You know, it's kind of basic, you know, as the magnetism rises up out of the earth's core and interacts with this, you know, possibly large piece of different metals, right? It, from whatever meteor strike may have happened there is is that what's causing a lot of these different strange phenomena to occur in the area of Utah basin I, I think that's a great possibility I, I think that it's possible that at a lot of sites around the world where we have this high strangeness what people um you know it's probably more on the normal to be considered paranormal uh i don't always like to use that word but um yeah the high strangeness i think <laughs> Well, when we say paranormal, people immediately go to ghosts and hauntings right, these days. Right, and, and there's so much phenomena. It's not yeah. just that one single phenomenon. Right. But, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, that there's an energy, and, and it's doing one of two things. It's either creating the phenomena or it's attracting the phenomena. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have areas like uh, Mount Wilson in Nevada, you know, Skinwalker Ranch right down the street from Blind Frog Ranch. Um, the, where Katie's at in Colorado, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think we need to see what's underground. What I think that's the most important thing. And then the other, uh, part of piece of that puzzle is running water. You know, you have yeah. transfer of material minerals, you know, uh, positive ionic charged minerals, which could really create a lot of this transient energy that's being seen all over the place. And I know uh, Victoria's going to ask me about the ley lines. <laughs> I was just going to say, just call it the woo-woo, and that just takes care of everything. <laughs> yeah, woo-woo. The woo-woo out there. Yeah, it, it encompasses. It's more than paranormal. Yeah, what about the ley lines? <laughs> uh, I was actually going to go lava tube. Um, I'm all about lava tubes these days. Yeah. And um, basalt. Yeah, you, you know that, and I'm glad you brought that up, because what uh, another um, – issue with the thought process is people think, oh, right below our feet, 10, 20, 30 feet. Oh, we're drilling 100, 120 feet. No, you have to think big. You have to think 800 feet plus deeper. Mm -hmm. That's when we're going to start hitting the history. That's when we're yeah. going to start finding origin for where we came from. Uh, are these old deities that were much larger than Homo sapien. And, you know, once we enter that uh, glacial period and then go past 
that glacial period of about 12,000 years ago. Who knows who was here? You know, the, yeah. if the earth is four and a half billion years old, how many cultures and societies and civilizations have existed here and just been wiped out or gone? Yeah. yeah. Or Absolutely. according to the Navajo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's great that you mentioned that, James, because that's something I've been uh, talking about a lot here uh, lately with, with my own work is that, you know, yeah, four and a half billion years is a long time. You think about, you know, the dinosaurs went extinct approximately 64 million years ago. That's just over 1% of the entire lifetime of the earth right. ago. So it's just, you know, it's, it's small. It's a small amount of time in the grand scheme of the history of the earth. So yeah, what more is down there for us to find? Absolutely. Exactly. Now, so I, I know, have a question about giants, okay, if I can real quick. Absolutely. That's exactly um, where I was going to go. So go ahead, Victoria. <laughs> It's like we're related or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you know Mike and I were cousins? No. Yeah, distant yeah, cousins. Mike and I are cousins. I did not know that. Yeah. Way distant. Um, yeah, we discovered it, one day, you know, before a show, just chatting um, and find to discover we have a common ancestor. Well, wow. um, okay. If the, what do you call them? The giants? What's the politically correct people of large stature? I call them beings of great stature because we're not quite sure who or what they were. Um, if they existed so long ago, how are they finding strands of red hair? Wouldn't that like have disintegrated by that time? Oh, so, okay. So I think the red hair is due to the burial process. I think that the okay. way that certain chemicals interact, I think they were blonde hair or light brown hair to create that red hair. And remember too, they added uh, these red paints and dyes during the burials uh, to them. So I, I think when we talk about like a, a very specific example, the Cite Ka of the desert Southwest were the redheaded cannibal giants. Well, I think we have the red hair wrong and I think cannibals incorrect. They were headhunters. Uh, when they fought one another, uh, they took their heads, you know, they went all predator on it. It's and, like a trophy? Uh, yeah, it's like a trophy okay. and it's seen in hundreds of petroglyphs. And we have found elongated skulls that are only found in the vernal style Fremont culture, which is guess where? Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch, McConkie Ranch, Nine Mile Canyon, Northeastern Utah, you know? So, and, oh, and, and then uh, Six Fingers on the petroglyphs and pictographs. And we, we've been told even... Considering the Bible a historical document that they had 24 digits, six fingers, six oh, toes, wow. you know, I think it was in second Daniel, uh, where we find out about, uh, um, oh my gosh, I just went blank on, on the, on the Rafi, Rafa, Rafa, Rafa was okay. the, the father, but where did okay, he come from? Wouldn't the elongated skulls, aren't they almost alien? shape if you want to call them the ant people uh, yeah i mean you can consider ant people um mike and i have gotten to that discussion how i i'm not a uh, when we talk about alien i i'm more of an interdimensional or ancient right. civilizations yeah. and cultures not not mm -hmm. coming from outer space because i mean it's so vast uh we've had well, this I mean, conversation they... many times but yeah we i mean have, yeah. and what is considered alien you know that that's the whole the whole thing to consider too. Well, yeah, I mean, well, if there's something yeah. interdimensional that's already existing on our planet and you want to throw a term on it, you could call it instead of extraterrestrial, you call it ultra terrestrial. Yeah. yeah. Well, they could be here, you know, and just they were not used to them and their their heads were shaped like an ant. So that's where the sure. ant alien came from. You, you only can speak to your level of intelligence at that point. Right. And, and I mean, you, you look at the Pueblo, their oral traditions about the ant people. Yeah, our, our good friend Clifford Mahuti, who uh, passed away here a couple of years ago, uh, would talk about them regularly. And so right. I was always fascinated by his stories about uh, the ant people and you know the, the way that they interacted with. Well, and you see some of those in uh, the, the various origin stories. Right. of that uh, of that area when we talk about like the great deluge and that they helped uh, the people survive. So yeah. um, so there's definitely something going on. And Victoria, you, of course, you'd love all that stuff, uh, you know, hollowed earth and places under the under the ground. Well, I mean, if they look like ants and they go underground, you know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's an ant alien. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, on on my YouTube channel, I have about a, a hundred uh, presentations or videos uh, in regards to a lot of the giants, the ant people, oral traditions, the petroglyphs, pictographs, uh, how I believe that uh, interdimensional portals are created, um, you know, through these X points, these diffusion areas. I try to go into the science. So, um, you know, if, if you are interested in that, I try to put as much of that information as possible in, in on the channel. Okay. Now you're talking about the portals. Um, I had this question. I watch you all the time. I love it. I love all your videos, but some of the swirls, the little clockwise, they go clockwise and some go counterclockwise. Is there a difference? Like one is an entry portal if it goes clockwise and the other one's an exit portal if it goes the other direction or. I don't think they're all portals. I, I, I think, you know, it's an abstract feature. So uh, I think we have to take the entire uh, picture into consideration. Uh, we seem to focus on just one spot of, uh, I'll call it rock art, even though it may not, it's, it's more of a his, historical record, but it's easier just to say this rock art may have 50 or 60 carvings on it. And we focus in just on the swirl, but, uh, if we pull out and look, some of those may be maps of the area. Uh, it might be talking about um, defending their territory. And then you do, you get into those one-offs where you can't quite explain uh, the anthropomorphic and the zoomorphic features that are around it, the things that are occurring. And then we have to question, what are we looking at? Is that some type of entrance or exit? Um, is it discussing a technology or are we just talking about a frequency and a wavelength shift that was known to the indigenous people as music chanting and a mindset change? Okay. Yeah, I know you also want to talk about uh, wavelength shifts. So uh, and it's, that's great that you mentioned the, uh, the chanting. One of the fascinating uh, things that I found from the last season of uh, Skinwalker Ranch was when they were doing the uh, Native American drum circle. They got the thermal cameras on the whole area. And as they were doing that chanting up there on the Mesa, the area that uh, they believe is a stone circle started glowing, started developing a, a heat signature. So, um, so how does that chanting frequency resonance vibration play into all of this out there? So, I believe that we're having these electromagnetic uh, shifts the, at, at a geo level, a geomagnetic level, um, that something underground is interacting with energy that's available. And all energy requires to change into something else is a shift. So if we're talking about radiation, we're talking about a frequency and a wavelength. As you know, uh, we increase in frequency, we shorten that wavelength, it becomes stronger, more violent. Uh, it rips electrons apart. And when we have electrons that uh, are now uh, so charged that they can't go back to a, a normal um, element, things start to occur. You know, uh, NASA has uh, been investigating for a little over a decade these X points above the planet right. yeah. that are electron diffusion regions, which uh, in layman terms, it's where plasma is occurring. And when we think about the universe, 95 or 96 percent of the universe is plasma. You know, it's this dark matter and this highly charged energy. Um, but it's not interacting. There's no impact with other other things. So we're missing things like the friction, you know. Mm -hmm. So if this occurs in the universe and our planets are just like a micro sun where all this activity is happening, why can't the same occurrence be happening inside our planet at a micro level, creating these right. shifts in, in uh, how energy is shaped? or how energy moves or transfers uh, to a, to a uh, different, uh, to mass. Mm -hmm. And in the course of its change, what's going on? You know, what does it make available or what does it create? 
So I have a question here out of the chat. This uh, references, it's going back to the, uh, when we were talking about the skulls. Uh, Sarah Yusuf, have you taken a look at the genetics of hydrocephaly? Yeah, so we you have to consider everything. Um, and then you have to consider in DNA was this, when, when we have these alterations, um, were they on purpose? Was it by design? Uh, is it an accident ca caused because of a mutation? Um, a lot of times, maybe these mutated individuals were worshipped as a deity. Uh, but if you keep the bloodlines going, what do you create? You know, if mm -hmm. the brother marries sister and they both have that mutation, you know, it's going to remain in that bloodline. But what is that bloodline protecting from the past? Right. You know, so it, it's a puzzle. I mean, we're lacking a lot of those puzzle pieces, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and it drives me crazy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's all a, part of the adventure trying yeah, to unravel that mystery. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the Paracas skulls? Uh, it, they're interesting. Um, I'd really like to see the DNA reports myself mm -hmm. um, to just kind of see, you know, what we're looking at. Are we looking at uh, what haplogroup, haplogroups are we looking at? Mm -hmm. um, and to see if it was created uh, instead of natural, because we have a, a lot of cultures that I think they were trying to simulate what they saw from their gods. And they've lost the original reason as to why they're doing it. It's just become part of the culture. So even if they've created it, what did they see originally that made them want to um, elongate their skulls? Yeah. And the practice skulls are interesting because there, there's a lot more of them available than in other locations. So you have to consider now, are we looking at an origin point? Um, you know, did somebody come here and that's where they stopped or ended up? up? Um, or was there something already there uh, available to them underground that brought them there as well? So right. was it an origin yeah, or a a site to be found. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating because you look at, okay, you know, head binding, you know, it became a, a ritualistic practice, but then you look at, you know, something like, you know, these skulls, the, the practice skulls and some others where, you know, the, the cranial capacity, I guess that's the one thing of, you can't change, can't change right. uh, but, but theirs are supposed to be larger. So that's interesting. Yeah. It would be uh, fascinating to, to dive a little bit more yeah, a little deeper into that. Um, you know, I, I, I am absolutely on board with you that there's, you know, history uh, of the earth that's been lost to time. These uh, beings of stature, um, you know, where is your research taking you with that? I mean, you, one of the times that we had you on the show, you talked about like origins of these beings of stature coming from uh, uh, the area of Utah and the Utah basin. Uh, where's the research taking you now? Uh, so, Mexico. And eventually, I think that one of those main focal or origin points for these people of great stature is ancient Armenia, which is Mount oh. Ararat. Yeah. Uh, okay. We, we discuss Mount Ararat even in the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. Noah oh, sure. landed there. Um, when we talk about ancient Armenia, we're talking mostly about what's current day Turkey, you know, Gobekli Tepe, yeah. places like this. That was Armenia. Um, what a lot of people don't realize, uh, uh, Sumer the Sumerians, uh, a lot of that cuneiform was created to trade with the ancient Armenians. Um, we have only one little piece of the puzzle or, or one thing that the public is always taught, and they don't see what else goes into, into that around it. And Armenia was supposedly created by Hike, who was a giant that fought Baal and defeated Baal and created current day Armenia, which I think is the fourth oldest nation on the planet. And then we see the separation, like the Celtic people came from, we believe, Mount Ararat. Right. And we have giants uh, in the United Kingdom, you know, we have 
Stonehenge, which is now only half as old as what they're finding in the Ural Mountains of Russia, which uh, it's amazing. It's fascinating. And then we see that it looks like the Canaanites, who were also the Phoenicians, found maps that were left by these people of great stature, and they followed them. And they started mining those same mines. So we're talking about Sardinia, Malta, Mm -hmm. uh, Mexico, the desert Southwest, Utah specifically. You know, a lot of people don't realize that in the petroglyphs, there's a lot of Phoenician um, symbols. Yeah. You know, know, how the heck did that get there? Right. Yeah. How did Phoenician symbols get out here uh yeah sardinia has uh the uh, giant they call them the giant tombs you mentioned malta do you have a um a hypothesis on the uh the malta ruts the supposed cart ruts yeah I, I my biggest thing is i think they were seafaring they had amazing seafaring technology that we've just and i'm talking i think it's hundreds of thousands of years ago Maybe even maybe even a million, two million years ago, and uh, we just we don't know what they had or how they were able to maneuver or change or move these ships from one side to another, or was it a connecting uh, bridge? Was the water level lower to where they were able to be connected to other islands? So I don't know. Those are really interesting. The ruts that yeah, uh, I mean they're pretty wide. They go on for a long. They go you into know, the water, into yeah. the water, but, um, but of course, know, sea levels, levels have changed. changed. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, Victoria, I've kind of been op- monopolizing here. You got other? No, that's fine. I'm I'm still okay. stuck on lava tubes and giants. But, <laughs> 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 uh, no, so, are you going to be? Really uh, yeah, are you going to be making a trip to uh, go back to Tepe and uh, in Turkey? So, I don't want to give away too much, but I okay. There's in the raw mountains. And unfortunately with all the issues between Russia and Ukraine, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to go to the Ural mountains right now or the Caucasus mountains. Yeah. But there was a totem uh, that was found in the raw mountains that is older than Gobekli Tepe and it survived its wood because the it wood fell in, yeah. yeah, it fell into a peat, uh, peat bog. Mm-hmm. And, we suddenly have this wooden totem that has uh, symbols on it that look like uh, some form of writing that is 12,000 years old, older than Gobekli Tepe. Uh, It makes you wonder what the hell else was made of wood that we've just, unfortunately it didn't survive, you know, but look, it's pushed, it pushed history that much uh, further into the past. Let's see if I can. But that's about the time of the the flood, right? Twelve thousand years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Everything's going to twelve thousand year period. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's a really fascinating totem. I'm going to bring this up here. Didn't they just find some place in its original in its original state? I think it was like twenty five or twenty seven feet tall. It was broken into like nine or ten pieces. Uh, unfortunately, several of those pieces went missing, you know, into private collections. Of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriation. Uh, I don't know if I have the pronunciation right, but the Shiger idol. Shiger. Yes. Shiger. Okay. Didn't they just find something in Turkey like a couple of weeks ago that was even older? Or, or am I dreaming that maybe? Okay. I must be dreaming that. Okay. They will. Okay. It's coming they will. up. They there will. You there you go. Yeah. It's coming up. Go. No, they're going to find something. Um, some sort of little Stonehenge type thing. I, I swear I heard that. I heard that on the news. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're well, they're finding so much, especially like yeah. Mike said, with the LIDAR in the jungles, because you're yeah. able to see through the jungle canopy. Mm-hmm. There we go. Amazing. It's, yeah. it's tall, so it's very narrow in the photo here. Right. But, yeah. And there's carving on the front and the back. And the back's really interesting because it looks like uh, looks like ancient uh, Akkadian um, or Phoenician. So, you know, whether it's a different culture, because you're talking about a ten, an eight to ten thousand year difference uh, between mm-hmm. the the cultures. You know, so 
we say, oh, language didn't start until this period, but no, you're wrong, you know. So, well, and that's it? what I'm finding fascinating about, okay, uh, Gudenpainag, I can never pronounce it for, properly, um, but, you know, the geologists there are saying, well, this was constructed by humans in Indonesia, you know, about 25,000 years ago. And the archaeologists are saying, well, but we, you know, the people in Indonesia weren't building things like that, even, if, you know, as far back as like 11,000 years ago. It's like, you're talking about 14,000 year difference. <laughs> you know? right. yeah. People and technology change could be completely different culture and even different people that had built the thing. Yeah. And that's the issue is they don't want uh, to change anything because, yeah. you know, this is where they, how they get, get paid. They make their money off of grants, grant funding. Right. That's how they get, get funded. And, Unfortunately, I always tell people, you know, what their professor was taught is what they taught their students, which are now the professors, which are teaching the new students the same thing. Right. But wouldn't it be better yes. to have the truth than just perpetuating the narrative? Well, you would think, right? Sometimes. Yeah. But like James said, a lot of them are afraid of losing their livelihood. Yeah. If they buck the trend, then they lose their money. They no longer have a job. The ones that get me are you know, people, uh, you know, some of these people have been, you know, interviewed and talked to about this. Um, like, and they'll say, well, this has been what I've been teaching for the last 40 years. Why am I going to basically say that what I've been talking about my entire career well. is hogwash? Yeah. Um, they don't want to do that. Or the ones that, well, I wrote all these books on it. Okay, write another book. Right. You know? That's, that's where the whoopsie comes in. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's kind of a shame because, you know, these people in their youth, you know, they were excited for this. They wanted to find those mysteries. A lot of, some of them may have, um, you know, even seen themselves as like a type of Indiana Jones type character. And somewhere along the way, that changed where instead of trying to discover the new things, they were trying to hold on to and, and save uh, what, what their previous work had been. So it, exactly. it's a shame. I hope, I hope that doesn't ever happen to us. Look what, you know, in the past, witchcraft was really science being, you know, Use and people didn't know or understand. Yeah. Well, so is astrology. Yeah. I mean, that was astrology. A case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh well. Now, have you found any speaking speaking of astrology, the stars? Have you found uh, some significant astronomical alignments there around the Uinta Basin? So, I am out of my. I, I I'm so bad with astronomy. I, I okay. don't even try. That's my weak, my weak point. I don't, don't even try to do it. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. This is why I need to be with you this summer. <laughs> <laughs> She's still yeah. fighting for that. <laughs> yeah. I got a remote job. James, come yeah. on. <laughs> Archeo astronomy. Yeah. yeah that, that's, oh, that uh, would be out so of my cool. Wheel <laughs> yeah. So we, we have just a new, new science. Yeah. <laughs> so we have just a couple minutes left here until we kick over to the after show, uh, which is members only. Uh, James, for our public audience, um, do you want to point them in the direction of your books, uh, website, work you have coming up, events you might be doing? What do you have on tap? Yeah. Um, so April 20th, uh, I'm in the Phoenix area at Scottsdale. Uh, Jimmy Church is putting on a conference uh, April the 20th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Scottsdale. Tickets just went on sale for that yesterday. Uh, I will be presenting uh, there. So will Nick Pope. He'll also be there. Um, so that should be uh, pretty fun. Um, on YouTube, if you go to James Keenan, Giants and Paranormal, uh, no spaces. Uh, like I said, I have about 90 uh, videos and presentations on uh, ancient civilizations, cultures, uh, high strangeness, Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch, uh, Mexico, Armenia, uh, the Zuni Pueblo, you name it. Uh, if I think it, it, it has something to do with the lost culture, civilization, or giants, it's there. Um, and uh, I always tell people, you know, an absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Um, so some things I may have put three or four years ago, uh, I may have come to a different conclusion or found new research or evidence that has changed that. So uh, take that into consideration when you're looking at the, how those presentations, what the dates are. Because um, mm -hmm. I'm the first one to say, hey, I'm wrong or I've changed my mind. I think this is yep. a better outcome or conclusion. Or we have found 
uh, evidence to be able to substantiate that this is what occurred. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do the same thing at the, uh, like in the introduction of my books, I'll say, I reserve the right to change my mind, which I think is prudent because as you discover new things, well, that might change, you know, other evidence that you had found, you know, other conclusions that you had right. made. So yeah, that's completely prudent to do. So appreciate that with uh, you, James. So <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that is going to conclude our public uh, side of this, this evening. Those that are members of the connected universe portal, please uh, stay on and uh, hang out there uh, on the connected universe portal. For those that are listening to the podcast version of this later, again, please join us live every Wednesday night, eight o'clock PM Eastern time, connected universe portal.com. James again. Thank you very much, Thanks, my everybody. friend. And you hang on too. <laughs> Till yeah. next time. Time really exists. <laughs>